Hey, what's up people? Before we get into today's episode, I just want to make you aware that I do know about the problem with the mic in this episode. We had a problem, it was my end, we couldn't fix it. But the problem was with Alex, I didn't want to take up any of his time because he's a busy man, he's doing me a favour and his story was still great and his microphone was working and that's much more important because you want to hear him talk, not me. Other than that, everything's sorted for next week's episode, which is another banger, so make sure you come back make sure you listen thanks you guys for your patience so let's get right into the episode i won't make you wait any longer let's play the music hey what's up people welcome back to the Overnamers podcast it's me sam matthews this week i'm joined by a proper legend of the u.s rugby scene 125 appearances for the u.s sevens eight appearances for the 15s, former US 7s head coach. He was on the director of rugby for the US 7s, and he's the current CEO of the New England Free Jacks, Alex Magleby. Mags, how are you, sir? Sam, great. It's so good to connect and uh, be on the pod today. Thanks for having me. I know. I'm glad you came on. All those pestering Instagram messages must have finally got through to <laughs> you. You got, got fed these up the, seeing them. These are like, the oh. good Instagram messages. You should see the other <laughs> Oh, well, it's glad that they finally got through to you. I was like, I'm going to have to leave this man alone at some point. He must be sick of seeing my name on his phone. It's wow, brilliant. Thank you. But, but anyway, as we get started, as all the listeners know, we're going to get started with a quick bit of quick fire questions just to get you loosened up. And then if you have any funny answers, we can cause from there. All right. Do I need to get warmed up? Do a dynamic? <laughs> bit of stretching. Yeah. yeah, I'm ready to go. Okay. Go. Also, shout out for the, for the listeners that can't see, Mags has got an incredible, massive cardboard cow of Nate Ebner behind him there. And his... <laughs> It's incredible to see every time I look to the right of the screen, I just get really put off with the eye contact, but I quite like yes. And the horse, can you see the horse as well? Right. Oh, yeah, we can. Yeah, that's, yeah, I've yeah. got a question about the horse. That's yeah. coming up. We're, so we're, all, talk about we're all together in this. <laughs> this is a group podcast now. That's exactly. <laughs> need my friends to help me exactly. get this. Right. Max, quick fires. Get them started nice and quick. Tea or coffee? Coffee. Night out or a night in? Oh, together both can i do both <laughs> all night <laughs> exactly <laughs> just day drinking and then having a night yeah, in when you're exactly. feeling a bit sorry for yourself yes, yes. right would you rather score a try or make a try saving tackle uh make a try saving tackle for sure and then <laughs> right. post the ball and then run 100 meters and score the try and have made 50 passes and a couple chip kicks yeah. Just go back to your own trial and just to do it again as well. Yes. Get to the trial and run back and come. Look <laughs> how fit I am. Yeah. Make sure you beat every player on the opposition team at least once. Yeah. Right. If you had to get rid of one tomorrow, would you get rid of rugby or would you get rid of dogs? Like across the world? Yeah. Like they have to, they like disappear? Yeah, like I am legend type stuff. Just disappear off the face of the earth. Oh no, you keep dogs. Because we can always yeah. reinvent a sport like rugby. <laughs> yeah. Come on, right. If you, have to get invo- if you have to get involved in one, movies or TV series? Movies. Oh, I thought you'd be a TV series kind of guy. I would rather digest a short form content, but I'd rather, mm-hmm. if I was going to do something, be involved in it, I'd rather do long form. That makes that sense. Makes sense yeah. Right. Sevens or fifteens? Uh, depends on what is in front of me at that moment in time. <laughs> Literally, like when I was, you know, Coaching 15s, that was the greatest thing in the world. When I was playing 15s, that was the greatest thing in the world. When I'm playing 7s, that was the greatest thing in the world. Coaching 7s, that's the greatest thing in the world. Just happy to be involved with the ball in your hand. Yeah, yeah. But literally at the time, you're like, just the greatest. This is the most amazing thing. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I felt the exact same way when I played. Right, if you're going on a night out, would you rather be in a nightclub or would you rather be in a pub with some live music? Pub. Friends. See, exactly. Talk. Some yeah, music between the talk. Yeah. Exactly. Not got somebody spilling a beer down the back of you while you're trying to stand on somebody else's feet. No, nightclubs, nothing ever good happens. <laughs> right, would you rather do a cardio day or an arms day in the gym? Cardio. Oh, right. I don't know if this one will work. I don't know if they have them in New England, but would you rather eat bourbons or custard creams? I have no idea what either one of those are. So uh, kind of bourbon in custard cream. <laughs> if, if you made no, that, you could bourbon, be onto a wooden... not bourbon. No, it's not. It's not bourbon like the whiskey. So there, there are two biscuits in England, and they're quite common there. You've got a chocolate-filled one, which is a bourbon, and then you have a custard-filled one, which is a custard cream. Oh, uh, chocolate one. That's the correct answer. It's an opinion based, but in my mind, it's the correct answer. <laughs> right, socks and sliders, yes or no? What's a slider? Uh, like flip flops, but without the more like a sandal, but not like a strap. And you wear socks in those? Yeah. No, although you wear no. the little hidden, the hidden socks, so your feet don't smell. I guess. <laughs> oh, it's the it's a you'll find the athletes around here. Everybody, as soon as you finish training, take the boots off straight into the sliders. It's basically just everybody around here is lazy, but in Scotland it's too cold to go open foot. Well, so those like socks. indoor shoes. Are those like my Birkenstocks. I think we're talking the same language. Birkenstocks, no socks. Yeah, Birkenstocks are the same thing, but no socks, absolutely not. And growing up in the eighties and nineties, when people would wear socks with their Birkenstocks and Tevas, that was really hard to digest. Even then, <laughs> it's not stood the test of time. <laughs> <laughs> not stood the test of time. You're like, oh, they must be from Europe. Yeah, <laughs> I imagine that's what you have a lot of things when you see fashion. You go, that's definitely yeah. something that's infiltrated from Europe. <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> right. Was like, also, when you're in Europe, everywhere you walk, you know, oh, that's the American. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, I wasn't gonna say it, but you guys, yeah. Is, yeah. I think the problem is we see, we hear you a bit more before we see you. Yes, that's that is a problem, <laughs> and we have all the answers, but we pretend to be friendly and got our baseball caps. Hey, I, I've and got San Francisco. I got a San Francisco one up there, right to the back. You can just see the orange poking through. First ever baseball game. That was a bit of fun. No, we got to get you to uh, a Red Sox game in Fenway. That's that's the real magic. Oh, uh, okay. I've I've got a New England team. The San Francisco is the baseball. I'll I'll tell you a bit later. But I, I have a different okay. team from. And I saw Will Clark hit a thousandth hit at um, the old Candlestick Park. Um, wow, that was my first baseball game actually. Wow, that's well. incredible. Was also we managed to rig some cheap tickets on StubHub, and we ended up sitting right behind um, the plate, and it was incredible to watch. Awesome. Yeah, Great like menu. $25 or something incredible. That was down at, um, what's the name of the Giants? The San Francisco yeah. Giants. It's AT&T Park. I don't know what it is today. No, I can't remember what they call it today. Could be the same. All, all I know is it dwarfs every stadium that we've got in the UK. So. Yeah. <laughs> and the shame is it was half empty. But... <laughs> Right. What's your go-to musical? Musical? Yeah. What are there so many good ones? Um, I mean, besides Annie or Send a Music or, I mean, where do you, where do I start? Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, Oklahoma. We can do the <laughs> whole Rogers and Hammerstein. Um, yeah, they're, they're all too good. Come too on. many to choose. Yeah, I yeah, think we'll take the answer there. <laughs> West Side Story. I don't know. Hey, great musical. Great, great musical. I only saw that for the first time recently the other week. Oh, nice. Do you like it? I, I was a big fan of it. I didn't I think I would, and the, but they've they've remade that new one, haven't they? The Disney one, and it's pretty much just West Side Story again. 
Yeah, and all West Side Story is a modern day Romeo and Juliet. So it's if you like Shakespeare, then you like West Side Story or vice versa. Yeah, Macbeth, you've got to watch your Macbeth, then you've learned your Shakespeare. Yes. <laughs> That's just devout Scottish patriotism. Anything Scottish is a success yeah. in North of the Wall. Right, and final one. Would you rather have a team activity day out, like an organized team fun, like Laser Quest or something, or a team night out? Oh, that's a good one. Uh, I would do the team activity, the day activity, for sure. Mm -hmm. I think that's because they take a bit more organization and getting everybody in the same place yeah, is difficult. Yeah, it's just fun. Like, you gotta go skiing, hiking, all that kind of stuff. That's really fun. Mm -hmm. We did that team. a couple of years ago with the guys. We took them out in the woods um, mm -hmm. here in northern New England, and they loved it. Oh, no better place as well. I appreciate a good a good hill walking scene. Yeah, so in the snow and all these guys had never seen snow before. It was brilliant. Wow, I can't imagine the same snow. But anyway, that's quick fire questions with Mags. Mags smashed it, comfortable everything. Else. So we're just gonna get right into it. And I just want to start off with congratulating you and the team on the first successful year in the MLR. Thanks, Sam. It was a really fun year. Like we really had a lot of fun, and I think on the field the team kept getting better and better and. That's all we can ask. And they were mm -hmm. there to make the playoffs, which was good. And they played some really good rugby. And then off the field, you know, our fans are unbelievable. We had great TV ratings, but as we were able to allow fans in over time, slowly but surely with COVID, they were they were fantastic. So yeah, it was it was a great start to being involved in what will be a legendary competition years to come, for sure. Oh, it's, it's only on the up. I was hooked after about week two or three. I think the way you the way they broadcast this over the rugby network is incredible. Yeah, how how great is that? So you, you're just you you can get that anywhere and it's free. How awesome! Exactly. I'm sat here. I would be editing a podcast or something, and I can sit with it on an iPad there, and it's not cost me a penny. That's and that's how that's how rugby should be. None of this behind yeah. the paywall stuff. No, that's brilliant. Yeah, that's really important for us. No, I smashed it, and I couldn't be more impressed with it. So back to the beginning. How did you find rugby? How did rugby come into the life of Alex McElvey? Yeah, so I grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah. So that's mm -hmm. in the middle of the Rocky Mountains. And we had a fantastic rugby program in my high school. Uh, Highland High, had, at the time, USA Rugby had a national championship for high schools, like an official mm -hmm. sanctioned national championship. And Highland won 75% of those. Uh, we, um, my freshman year, we had first time we had lost in years and then played again sophomore through senior year fantastic program at the time this is in the 90s we were training five days a week we were doing video study uh you know you had to do fitness outside of training it was it was a performance program just all of us played football and it was just like our football program you know 100 guys played football 100 guys played rugby and it was in the spring so we were able to travel the country playing travel the world a bunch of the guys i played with actually went and had nfl careers so real talent mm -hmm. uh, serious talent so i was exposed early on so extraordinarily lucky to a great program where I think a lot of people originally are exposed in the U.S. It's kind of more social and, that, and that's great, too. But it's, it was just a rarity. And then I played uh, at university at Dartmouth. It's mm -hmm. kind of the legendary Ivy League powerhouse in rugby and great coaching there. And, you know, we ended up building a world class facility. But that had been, you know, 60 plus years of international touring and quality coaching. And again, opportunities in rugby that didn't necessarily exist in the United States in the 90s um, in large volume. And so I had these great experiences that I was just very fortunate to have that not a lot of kids were able to have. And that was then able to put me in a position to start playing for the national team while I was still in, in university. And then I was able to take that after I graduated and continue to play. 
And at the time, rugby was on the just going pro, um, but clearly not pro in the U.S. Um, so half the year you'd be playing, and then half the year you'd be working back in the States or wherever. I did a time in New Zealand for a year, and then I came back, and ha the half the year where I was off, I was coaching. So that really augmented my playing, and then my playing augmented my coaching. And so kind of for the, the last five years of my playing career, I was, I was a virtual, I was a full-time coach, uh, which was really cool uh, to get into coaching that way. Mm -hmm. That's incredible because we hear, we hear so much, especially from my perspective looking into the U.S., you see all the, the NFL, the NBA, the MLB, and you're, they're pulling kids out of high school and just going, here's millions and millions of dollars, and you're on the regiment. It's, you know, you, you're going to get told what to wear for the next 20 years if you're good stuff stuff effectively. But it's nice to see that they were actually doing that for rugby as well because – I don't know if you, you've noticed this as well, but I struggle to feel why rugby hasn't caught on as big as it has in the US. I know there's a lot of competition for TV and sport, but. Yeah, so you look at all the sports that are at the top of the commercial game in the United States. They've been around for 100 plus years being played mm -hmm. and they've had their own struggles. You know, football in the United States for a long time, you know, had its own professionalization struggles. And it, it really has taken time, but it's a massive, you know, sports entertainment complex at, at this stage. And they, they've all, but they all have had massive participation as an underbelly, mm -hmm. where rugby really hasn't had a massive amount of participation as an underbelly. It's not something that typically towns have supported or boys and girls clubs have supported, you know, where you're from, every club has a piece of real estate and that really grounds it. Most sports in the United States aren't run through clubs like that at the lower levels. They run through the town recreation department. And that's when they go through the school system and everything else. And so on a crowded sports calendar, you haven't had historically rugby is a piece of uh, that scholastic model. You know, most most kids a few generations ago, it was if you're a boy, American football in the fall. And winter was basketball and the spring was baseball. Um, and you've seen that evolve over time. Lacrosse has, 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 a, has a significant scholastic model. Obviously, soccer, football, your, your football has, um, you know, really grown over the last generation, so for the last 30, 40 years. Um, but rugby hasn't historically had that underpinning of really massive participation that then creates secondary education opportunities, scholarship, which then puts the talent into a professional infrastructure that is supported by this massive fan base because they've all participated. Mm -hmm. um, but what we've learned from soccer and the professionalization of soccer and where that's been most successful has not been necessarily the underbelly of participation, but actually the entertainment piece and uh, people in the cities wanting to have that experience and everything else. So there's a lot of ways that rugby is now learning how to short circuit the system as we also are seeing growth at the youth level, which will be generationally really important for the success of the game. Mm -hmm. If that makes well, sense. It made sense to me. I, it should make sense to the listeners as well, but it was, you explained it beautifully of just, it needs, it's very fast on the right track and it's growing a lot faster than I think anyone could have predicted. But ten it's years like- ago, Yeah, 10 years ago, if you were a girl playing in the United States for a team, you weren't gonna get a scholarship to university nor were, was it going to be a tool to help you get into one of the better academic universities, say the Ivy League, like playing lacrosse wood or playing soccer or field hockey or ice hockey or basketball. But now, if you're a really good and competitive um, high school athlete, you can go to 
a Harvard, a Dartmouth, a Brown, uh, you know, a, a West Point, you know, that's our army, our military academy, uh, because you're really good at rugby as also being a good and being a good student. And that's really cool. That's that's a game changer on the women's side of the game. And you're seeing on the men's side of the game, even though it's not NCAA, it's not run by NCAA, you're seeing those opportunities as well. Uh, so that, that's really changing the dynamic of the quality of athletes and the impetus for parents to support their kids playing at the youth level. Exactly. I think it's I think it's great as well. I think that's what U.S. sports, what the U.K. could really learn from U.S. sports is the the sort of emphasis on if you go to college, you get put into a national almost camera, you get seen on the national level and you're also encouraged to stay in education. And I think because yeah. what especially especially soccer here is really bad for taking kids out at a young age that have potential. And then you'll you'll probably see that on social media as well. They get on they get in these programs. They get to twenty two. They'll have a sit down with the manager one day. Who says, "Oh, you're just not going to make it." And then they're just flung out of this academy at twenty two, and they've not had a single. They've not had a class. Not been in a classroom since they were fourteen or fifteen. Yeah, and that's tough. Or had an apprenticeship as a trade, or any other number of things to have a, you know, successful life. You know, having skills and crafts to, to be able to earn a living. And that's really scary. Yeah. No, I couldn't agree more. I, speaking of that, let's talk about college. So you were Dartmouth, you were 14-time Ivy League champion and two times U.S. collegiate champion in your time there. Did you find time to do any studying while you were celebrating with trophies and parading around the pitch? Or? <laughs> so I, yeah, I graduated uh, in 2000 with an engineering degree, mm -hmm. uh, which you know I always thought that I was going to be an industrial engineer. Where that did help me is I started a sports analytics company when I pretty early on in my coaching career and um, kind of that background really helped. So while I was serving as head coach, uh, once I retired from playing, what I would do and uh, the other part of the day effectively was run a sports analytics company. And this is the time at a time, this is early 2000s. So kind of money ball situation had been happening at the Oakland days. Yeah. Not that a lot of people knew about it at the time, but you started to see this influx of analytics into, into sports. Sports code as a video resource tool, a video analytics tool, was hard to get in the United States, and we'd been using it on the national team. So we effectively became a, a shop and okay. a resource to train people on video analytics. Uh, so that's kind of how I made a living effectively. So I could coach, um, was running a sports analytics company. Oh, wow. Well, it sounds like you managed to mold profession and passion very well there <laughs> yeah it got fortunate yeah for sure and it just um it was it was it was perfect timing in a lot of ways wow so what was it like uh being a seven star as well a seven star in the u.s and star, the star being the operative word <laughs> 100 if you're 125 appearances in you're a star <laughs> It's, it's not a fluke. If you had one or two, we'd, we'd question mark it. Yeah, I got to a stage in my playing career where I sat down with a general manager at the time of USA Rugby, the men's national programs. Like, listen, you're going to have to specialize in one or the other. I was playing sevens and fifteens. Mm -hmm. I was an open side flanker. And the game, as it continued to become more and more professional, the size of the players was dramatically changing. And so I had kind of a choice. It was I could continue to travel on the world on the seventh circuit, um, you know, become even faster and fitter, um, you know, weight wasn't going to be mass, wasn't going to be as important. Uh, or on the other side, I would, you know, really need to kind of stick and be grounded, chase, chase the professional game in Europe if I could, and really put on some weight and kind of do that 
Um, and for me, where I was in my life at that time, I'd kind of had that experience and I just wanted to continue to travel the world and use rugby as a tool to meet great people and, and see the world. And so sevens then became my specialization at that stage. And uh, so it, it was great. I mean, that's a very rewarding experience. This is pre-Olympic announcement. U.S. was just starting to figure it out. Um, we weren't even allowed on half the, the tournaments. We weren't a core team, but we did well enough in some of those to put ourselves in, in a position to be a, a pretty successful team. So uh, it was that was a lot of fun, for sure. Well, looking looking at your highlights and research for this, you were you were not a bad player from my my professional opinion as a. We wore, we wore really heavy cotton jerseys like this, and mm -hmm. the game was so much slower than it is today. So. <laughs> Ginger from Utah could actually be successful. <laughs> Mate, I'm a five foot eight curly haired kid from the, the heart of the Scottish borders. Is, how great is that with rugby? That it's just there's a there really is in, in many aspects at most levels a size a place for everybody. Exactly, and the people you meet as well. For example, we're talking now, and then as we were saying off air, I was talking to a guy who was from the the literally cowboy Canada who now makes his trade in LA. Yeah, awesome. And then, yeah, all all separated by fifteen blokes throwing a ball at each other and yeah. trying not to die within the eight minutes. <laughs> Just have fun. Exactly. So, how did you come about as the CEO for the New England Free Jacks? Yes, yeah, so I was um, general manager for USA Rugby. Mm -hmm. uh, Two thousand, kind of six. I've been the high performance director, and then kind of heading into the Olympics in 2016, right after the 15s World Cup through kind of 2018, I had signed with USA Rugby to be the general manager. So seeing all our national teams, all our pathway programs, everything else. So 15 sevens, men, women, the competitions that fed into that and everything else. So I was privy on that side to seeing iterations of folks trying to professionalize the game in the United States. I knew that my time at USA Rugby was coming to an end. That's something we had agreed to at the beginning of me taking it. I didn't want to do it forever. You know, I was traveling 11 months of the year. We had a small family. My wife was finishing up You know, her training as an MD, as a doctor. So I really did not want to be... So, so I knew that well in advance. And then mm -hmm. as we we're kind of assessing what's the next take, you know, what's the next, where does this game go? Why am I involved? Well, one, rugby is fun. And I just want to make sure that that it's being shared with more people. And two, true believer, along with my eventual co-founder here, uh, Eric Anderson at the Free Jacks, and our soon-to-be other owners, that rugby is just a great tool for building better communities. It really is. It's a it's a perfect game for boys and girls and and fans alike. Uh, just the values of it and everything else. We truly believe that. So, is there a better way to share this game uh, more quickly? And we looked at the local level and decided that, yes, the professionalization can really be the key to helping drive all that. Um, so it's a better experience for fans of the sport. So it's a better experience for those who are playing and participating in the sport. Uh, for those that don't even know the sport yet, how can we help them get into it? So that's really how we came about it. While we were going through that kind of internal discussion, um, MLR Rugby was starting to uh, come together and they they put together a season uh, that year. There's there's a few founding clubs uh, that was 2018, and so we decided to introduce our ideas and our business plan, and uh, they accepted it, and we became members in um, late autumn of 2018. And within a month, we were playing against the Arrows, and we just went after it and 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 built a and built a program and built a sports entertainment company pretty quickly, which has been super super fun. 
As, so you, can tell, as, you, as you can tell by my voice. <laughs> <laughs> by, by, by the bags and the... It's like it a third double It's the third double espresso you've had since we started the podcast. Yeah, no, you're exactly. fine. You've done a cracking job. And um, I want to give you a special... I don't know if it was yourself that made it, but you have that regional almost competition level as well now. And it's developing it, yeah. It's yeah, and it's you've got the teams up and down New England. Yeah, I so think that's I think that's brilliant. Yeah, what we've seen with the game here is it's just it's disparate. There's you know the the clubs haven't been able to do a great job recruiting from the colleges, who haven't been able to do a great job from the high schools. So perhaps we can help connect all those dots, right? Mm-hmm. And some of that is, and then also making sure that the athletes and coaches at all those levels have a chance to get better outside of just. They're eight club games a year, right? Which in mm-hmm. many cases are, um, uh, you know, th- it's not a great field. There's, there may be a coach, there may not be a coach. A lot of the participants really aren't even coached. So can we help that in a way? So let's really build an interstate to connect all these things that in time, you know, will allow training groups to compete against each other, teams to compete against each other and really drive uh, uh, a farm system for lack of a better term that really helps the club game and helps the performance side of the game as well. Well, exactly. You don't you don't get the fruit at the top of the tree without the roots, is what yeah. my old biology teacher used to say whenever we were doing stuff, and I took that with me and yeah. completely changed it to a different saying. But yeah, and what we have here in New England is these rich, rich roots, but mm-hmm. we don't have a system of, of veins and branches and everything else to connect to the fruit, right? So it's it's. Um, We've got that top canopy with the pro game and international game. And so let's just help connect those dots. Um, so those roots can continue to flourish. Exactly. It's, um, the, what the, what the U S are doing quite well is, I don't know if you saw it in the women's game, there was a movement, um, there was a movement on social media late last year and it was called, if you want to see, if you want to be it, you have to see it. Or okay. if I might paraphrase that, but, but they did that with a women's game of show the female athletes, give them the TV time. And then I think that's what you guys are doing really well. And that's what attracted me to buy the jersey and support the team because I could see it wasn't a case of we're here to be the New England Free Jacks. We're here to help New England and rugby. Yeah, it's got to be. And it's got to be whatever we do for little girls, we want to be doing for little boys. Whatever we do for uh, young men, we want to be doing for young women and vice versa, you know, as much as possible. And our goal, of course, is to figure out a way and to professionalize the women's game in New England. That's a that's yeah. a, that's an ultimate goal. and. We're working hard to try to make that become a reality as well. Uh, well, with the drive and determination you guys have got not to blow smoke up your arse and the team, but I think you're going to get there sooner than later and watching how things have unfolded. So, no, Sam, appreciate that for sure. Yeah, we got a, we got a, we got a lot of work ahead, but it's um, there's, a, there's just awesome opportunity with the sport. Exactly. Which I'm really excited about. Exactly. So. Uh, Talking nicely about New England, it leads me on. Was there pressure when you thought about doing it in New England? Because obviously the teams there are a bit better than average from history in other sports. Was we're there? Lucky, yeah, we're very lucky in New England. There's probably more players per capita than anywhere else in the country outside of the youth game. The youth game is probably biggest in Southern California. Mm-hmm. But Massachusetts is one of the six states in New England, is uh, the only state in the United States that has actually state-sanctioned high school rugby for boys and girls where it's run by kind of the traditional high school athletic association that would run football and lacrosse and ice hockey and basketball baseball so that's really awesome Mm -hmm. um then you have the traditional university structure in new england that you know again per capita there's more college students than kind of anywhere else in 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 north america and though all those programs have a history of rugby uh 
some good, some bad, some in between. So there's, 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 there's a lot of history there that um, is really, really cool. Uh, the, our job is to help, again, going back to that earlier, is help connect the dots and make those experiences better for, for those that are participating in, in those um, clubs and colleges and high school programs, and then really develop the youth game. That's, there hasn't been massive youth participation. There's a little bit, a little, little awesome little nuggets here and there um, based purely on volunteers working really hard. But let's let's create a system then that can really connect those. And that's what we're trying to do again with the academy system and everything else is really grow the youth game. Why? Wow. So when you so talking of so like the trophy town, when you compare yourself, obviously you've got you have Nate behind well not behind you, but you have people like Nate and Patrick Chung with you. Does the does the professionalism of the Patriots and the teams like that sort of seep in? Do you get advice from the other teams like the Red Sox, like the Bruins? Yeah, there's a really, really good sports entertainment industry in the Boston area, right? Mm-hmm. You have um, obviously the Patriots, you have the Red Sox, you have the Celtics, you have the Bruins, who are all f- championship caliber teams on any given year. Mm-hmm. And that's awesome. There's a really, really strong tradition of high performance sport in, in our area. But you, you got to look at the Red Sox. I mean, they what, took 87 years for them to World Series, you know, between the last time they did but you would have never said that they weren't competitive or they weren't in the mix or you know, they were always selling out at Fenway. It's still, it's, it's a great um, organization. And what we have found is a lot of those organizations have been very friendly to us as, we, as we've come in. Mm-hmm. For sure. And then you have the others like New England Revolution and Major League Soccer. Um, and there's, a, there's a few more kind of at that next level. So everybody's been really helpful as we've continued to try to grow. Amazing. That's good to hear. Yeah. Wow. So what's it like running a team as a CEO? What's the day-to-day like? Because I because we have a game here that's quite popular. It's called Football Manager. And what yeah, it is, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's just glorified spreadsheets and emails, but apparently it's a game and we will chuck up hours on it. Yeah. And that's like getting to be the CEO of your favorite soccer team. So yeah, you, you basically get to play that game in real life, which I'm very Yeah, the romance <laughs> is, is so now you when you're running a business, right? Mm-hmm. We're in the sports entertainment and events media business. The rugby portion of it, the con- that content part of it, which is the part that I came up in, is only one small part. It's the, it's the engine of the, of the bus for sure, but it's only the engine. Mm-hmm. What I have to spend a lot of my time on is making sure that all the other pieces are in place, that they're all connected. You know, so, so a lot of my days deal with kind of on the, 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 the front end of the day is, is operations, is HR, is legal, is finance. You know, is making sure that we're spending the money the way that we say we're going to spend it to make sure that we're um, assessing who we are on a regular basis. That's kind of that ops part. And then really, really important for us is tickets and attendance. That's going to drive one of the main drivers of this business. And then sponsorship, one of the main drivers of this business. Merchandise, like an additional driver of the business. Uh, Our media play, what does that look like? Our foundation, okay, so how how do we articulate and help communities with other things that may or may not be involved with rugby, but the causes that are really important to us. You know, we're, part- we're participants in 1% for the planet, which means all the revenue we generate, 1% of that we donate to various environmental causes that are really, really important to us. Mental health is really big um, for our organization, not only bringing awareness to it, but helping to fund initiatives that really change the lives of children. Um, you know, so we have very various causes that are really important to us as an organization because we have a voice. 
um, who are part of the community that are that are really key. So a lot of my day is you know kind of all of that kind of stuff, and then you know we can get to the rugby part. Fortunately, we have a really good team on the rugby side that we've developed over the last few years. Tom mm -hmm. kindly leads that for us as the performance director. You know, we kind of spend basically every night together on the phone and kind of going through the, the fun things that you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. All the good stuff. Yeah. So basically, basically you get to the into the you get to the rugby on the Saturday and just fall into the chair and go, I don't have to think about it for eight minutes. Yeah, exactly. They, they're doing the analysis and everything else. So when we were starting and I was mentoring a lot of our staff, that was something that I was, I was really hands on in. And over time, as you know, certainly Tom has grown and we bring brought in other coaches who really fit the bill. Uh, that that kind of rugby department has been able to do some really good things. Amazing. That sounds incredible. Well, we, we can move out of the, the boring stuff. Now, we've spoken about rugby, which nobody wants to hear on the Overname is podcast. So, Mags, you've just said to yourself there, you spend every hour of the day trying to improve rugby and share rugby with the masses. How do you find the time to then host your own podcast, have such an active social media? <laughs> I need to question the horse mask because it's something I've never understood, but I think is brilliant. And then, yeah, where did you manage to create the extra four hours that you seem to have in every day? Yeah. So again, when we went, when we hit the pandemic, yeah, we you know quickly had to wind down, and unfortunately, what that looked like is we'd spent all our money because all, all running the season is all upfront costs. You know, getting the stadium ready, housing. Uh, uh, player contracts, all the, the big chunks of what you spend money on were kind of all out the door. So we made sure the players were whole, even though they were going to play the season. And then we had to really dig deep at the local level, save money, but also how do we continue to make sure that we're relevant so that we can get through the pandemic and be ready to launch when the pandemic's over? Okay, so let's make sure we're continuing to connect with our current community. But let's also make sure we're bringing others to our sport, to MLR, to the free jacks in various ways. So we decided that one of our strategies was going to have a, a podcast family of, um, you know, uh, uh, content that we were going to produce to bring in various affinity groups to, to kind of connect and reconnect with what a lot of us are so passionate about. So then full contact CEO was, was uh, the impetus for that was, okay, let's bring in the business community, not only because rugby produces a lot of those type of, of, of people, but also it's just interesting to a lot of us. And then we can tie them into the brand. Those conversations are happening anyway, on a regular basis. We're always reaching out to others and to try to learn as much as we possibly can and to put ourselves in a position of vulnerability. We said, why don't we share that with the rest of the world if the people we're talking to are so willing? Because again, those conversations are happening anyway for us to try to learn to be a world-class organization. So it wasn't going to be a massive uplift by turning a lot of those conversations into podcasts. And so that's what we started to do. And we're gonna have season three rolling out here this fall, which I'm really excited about here pretty soon. No, it's a, it's a brilliant podcast. I'm really I'm really good at promoting other people's podcasts on my podcast, because I've got a good <laughs> friend of mine. I've got two good friends of mine that also have ones as well. But I really like the Full Contact CEO for exactly the reason you said of, fair enough, it's it's aimed at world-class business and stuff. I've, I've learned stuff even about market in this podcast just from yeah. you guys. So my okay. listeners, if you're entrepreneurial or anything, Give full contact Great. CEO a listen. Brilliant. Thanks, Sam, for that. Full contact CEO. <laughs> <laughs> if you keep that voice, I might get you to do the intro for this and I can yeah. get rid of the old drum and bass intro that I've got. <laughs> drum and bass is good. 
it gets the it gets the listeners hyped up for an hour and a half of me waffling and yeah. stumbling through a car crash. Let's go! I'm gonna listen to a podcast. Let's go. <laughs> and then you get the crackly mic that took me like three episodes to figure out, and then yeah, oh, it was yeah, terrible. Yeah. I've been through those audio problems for sure. <laughs> I know it, you you never know it's wrong until the end of it as well, which is the problem when you go back and listen to it. The worst are when people want to f- record podcasts late at night, and you're like, I just put the kids to bed. I'm having yeah. a beer with my wife. It's a Friday night, and then you're like, I gotta get jump on this podcast. They're actually the best because they're hilarious. But anyway, yeah, the the podcast, the, for want of a better term, when everybody just thinks, "Fuck it, we'll just go for it." Yeah. <laughs> they're the best podcast. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Media training, everything just goes out the window. You just say, I'll say whatever comes into my head. <laughs> Sam, that should be a T-shirt that you guys produce. Well, just fuck it. <laughs> yeah, go for it. Yeah, I. Uh, I think I say that more. It probably gets. It probably does me more harm than good because everything on YouTube probably gets demonetized for me saying it. But so new T-shirt, Max. The the horse mask. How did the horse mask come about? Well, so because remember, like part of our brand is the horse, right? That's a really mm-hmm. important piece to what we're about. And at the end of the day, it's the fist of freedom, you know, holding the light of hope. Mm-hmm. You know, but that's the rider. That's the midnight rider. Um, and so the horse has been a part of our brand from the very beginning, that action, that motion. And so it's just important to make sure that we're reminding ourselves of the brand as we go. At the end of the day, you know, rugby is fun. We're a super fun organization and we can't just say that. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. as we sat down with with my board, this is in the spring of 2020 and they're like, we see that every day. Our our board, we're collectively saying this and our staff were saying this. But are we really living that and showing it to our friends every day? So let's just make sure that we're doing that. Whatever we are probably doing in the office anyway, let's make sure we're sharing that. And as you know, rugby people the world over are great people and in most cases, very funny. And so it's just been a great opportunity. Social has given us the opportunity to share that. Like, this is what we're doing in the office. Here's here's what it looks like. <laughs> here, here's the chaos that is. Yeah, Here's exactly. the chaos. It's an MLR office. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And it's just fun, right? And so and I think that's really good. And that's really good for our supporters and fans. And they're like, wait a minute. If the CEO can be vulnerable, then the rest of us can be too. And I think that's been good for our staff. Exactly. Well, the one talking about the one bit of your social media that sticks with me, and it will always stick with me because I've worked in various companies where we've had CEOs that they won't even open the door. They'll expect somebody to open it for them. And then there was you. And it was, I think it must have been before. It must have been, it was either the last game of the season or the second last game of the season. And it was torrential rain in New England. And yeah, you were right. there in, and you were there in this, this little anorak raincoat, you know, like the, the $2 ones that you pull yeah. out from, and you were there and you were literally putting bin bags in bins. And I sat and I was like, if the CEO of an MLR, like this man that has so much history and pedigree is willing to stand there going, I will stand in the rain and I will put bins in bin bags and I will do all the grunt work. I think, like you said, to rugby people especially that come from a game that used to be amateur until 20 years ago, like they know that this is it's a it's a club that cares about rugby, not a club that is profiting from rugby. Yeah, and I think that that's the the, the most important thing is there's no there's no job for any of us that's too big, right? Mm-hmm. And if it needs to get done, you get it done. And that's certainly every rugby team I've been involved in over time in virtually every continent. Uh, I've never played in Antarctica, but uh, <laughs> that um, it behaves that way. And that's the awesome thing. And so if we can continue to live that way, that'll continue to attract new people to our sport because that is something that 
is often missing in today's sports entertainment complex, but also just in day-to-day -day life. And, you know, if we can share that, I think that's awesome. And I think people really, um, really appreciate that, that, wow, that's, that's what rugby people do. That's what exactly. being a free jack is, you know. Quite right. That's, you should get that on a t-shirt. Yeah. That's what being a free jack is, full stop. Just no explanation. That's it. Uh, this is just turned to a merchandising meeting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Put it on the back of t-shirts. So you're sitting in the coffee shop. Like, what is, what is that? What, what, what yeah, is what's a free jack? Yeah. What is, what is that? <laughs> there we go. Well, Mags, I know I've uh, yeah, I know I've got you for a short period of time, so we're going to rattle on quickly. And I want to talk about the draft. Obviously, I just spoke about it with James. There'll be three weeks ago when this episode comes out, and he was saying from his perspective of the whole world just slows down when he gets that call. Obviously, he had a nightmare with his delay, and he was thirty minutes late. So everybody was ringing him before he found out who he was on. Literally, the last guy in the world to know who he was playing for. Um, so on draft day, are you in the room like you know we like talking about the the NFL again? You see these big war rooms that they call it. Are you in yeah. the room? Do you do you get to be the one that makes the calls, or do you give that this, that pride to somebody else? So TK runs it on our behalf as our performance director, and then yeah. we touch base, and then he rolls with it with the league. So uh, he'll he'll connect with coaching staff, and then mm -hmm. with me and ownership, and then. He, he, he then rolls it with uh, MLR. I was actually on vacation that week. I, I'm the head of the competitions committee for MLR. Mm -hmm. We were coming up with the dates for everything. I was like, oh, goodness, this is really falling in the one week a year that we always go on vacation. Like when my, my wife can take a week off from the hospital, kids are not in school, we shut down. And then so I'm calling in from the, the White Mountains of New Hampshire um, into the draft. And uh, TK ran a great, did a great job of running it. I was gonna say you still smashed it with some good picks, but it's like it's nice to see that even above all that you're still because what I always try is like the the personal life comes first. Like as much as much as everything always. is that you've got to have your own time. Always, and if you don't, then it doesn't last. The other side gets eroded in time, and I've seen yeah. that countless times in sports with coaches and everything else. If if things aren't put in boxes, eventually it overcomes you, and um, it's not good. So, yeah. Wow. But no, like we said, I think the draft is an incredible, it's just an incredible bit of stuff to encourage kids to go to college. But then also you see that happiness and elation from people when they get picked. And I think, awesome. yeah, I'd love, I mean, obviously I know James, but I'd love to be in the room with somebody at a draft, draft gallery. Yeah. I think that'd be incredible. Yeah, once we kind of get, once pandemic's over, that's going to be much easier to, to do live mm -hmm. in person as well as to monetize with more yeah. eyeballs. Yeah. Like, and hat tip to our league to be able to do it the last two years virtually, mm -hmm. uh, effectively. But when we can really do that draft live in person and most of the people are in the room and everybody sees that, that's going to be really cool. Oh, yeah. I'd be looking forward to it. So we're going to end off quickly before we do the famous under the team bus section with the final. What's the goals for Alex Magleby and the Free Jacks in the next couple of years or long term? For, for this year? Um, for, for, 20, for 22... Really, really important that we continue to drive forward with our fans and that they can drive our, you know, experiences. And I think our fans are doing a really good job. We've got multiple fan groups now that they're driving and there's multiple fan groups that have created podcasts and that's super exciting. For us, the attendance is really, really important. Uh, our academy initiatives and our learn to play initiatives are really, really important. And those, those two, all of those are connected. Uh, so those are all really, really important pieces for us um, over the next six months, for sure. Hi. 
And then the long-term goal, any long-term goals planned yet? Any big master plan whiteboards in the office somewhere? Yeah, you know, it's funny. Eric and I were just talking about this, just how we're, how excited we are from 20 years from now when we've had an entire generation of kids playing New England. We're not talking about a 1,000 kids, but you're talking about tens of thousands of kids per year. So you're talking about hundreds of thousands of people just in our region alone having been exposed to the values of the game. And that's really, really, really exciting, right? And that's, mm -hmm. a, that's a great journey ahead to be a part of. And that that does seem like a good goal. Something that you, when you eventually decide enough's enough and I can walk away and you get more than that one week a year and you can go, I know this is in safe hands. That must be quite a feeling to work work towards. Yeah, but you know rugby, you never, you can, you never, never walk, walk away. away. Yeah. <laughs> You'll yeah. still be putting bins and bin liners. <laughs> yeah, it's, just, it's always there, which is amazing. No, well, those sound like really war goals. I've enjoyed that. So we're going to get one last question. Can you understand what Doogie Five says? Or is there no, times when you have to no, slow down? No, I don't, can't understand anything he says. <laughs> he's not even got Sorry, a step accent. He's got quite a soft one as well. He's, mm -hmm. he's, a, he's an Edinburgh man. Yeah. No, <laughs> I can understand Dougie. Good. I just need a beer first. And so it's close down my brain. <laughs> the problem is he's probably had one as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's been no, a great, he's, he's been a great free jack. It's, it's great to have he's a, he's a top bloke. I got to meet yeah. him once or twice in passing and, you know, various rugby comp camps and things yeah. like that. But he's a top bloke. He's awesome. Yeah, always gave the time for us, and we were 15, 15 year old little hotheads that thought we were the best players coming out in the world. So he must be a patient man if he was dealing with us. Yeah. So credit to <laughs> Right. Uh, Mags, before we get going, we're going to do the famous under the team bus section. What this How is, just, it's just a famous, a famous section of questions where, like the quick fires, you just say the first name that comes into your head. But unfortunately, they might be questions where it's like, who's the worst tackle you've ever played rugby with? Oh my goodness. Okay. <laughs> so I promise there's nothing there that's going to make you lose any friends, but you might just have a few DMs after it going, you really think I'm the worst tackler that you've ever played rugby with? Okay. <laughs> so, right, we'll get started. Who's the hardest tackler you've ever played rugby with? That I've played with? Well, played with or against if there was a notable hit where somebody folded you like a cheap suit? I got folded pretty well by Rodney Soyalo at one stage in the early 2000s that that was significant yeah for sure i was gonna say any any hit that you remember for 20 years is i think a, he was also holding my dreads and then punched me as well so it was good it was like a good you know back in the day just, yeah, yeah saying hi two, two loose forwards going at each other that was in the seventh <laughs> but yeah right who's got the fastest feet carlin carlin isles well let me rephrase that Car carlin this way for sure yeah. um you know, then this is not by measurement, but just by looking. I was at a Patriots practice. Mike Friday and I were actually was a couple of years ago. And Julian Edelman's feet, just like quickness, unbelievable. Just absurd. I said this all the time. He Julian Edelman could have been a world rugby star if he chose yeah, to play rugby. He's just his feet were and he he went to high school with uh, Zach Test. Yeah. Have you have you not thought about messaging Nate and Patrick and going Julian still looks like he's got. He's in a bit of good shape. I saw him on the I, panel I shows. I have to play all the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah. There we go. A, a bonus question: there. Do you think a game, a team of rugby players, would beat a team of American football players in football, and vice versa? Do you think a team of American football players could win a game of rugby? A team of American football. If you're talking about NFL, would destroy yeah. a team of World Cup best players playing American football because the game is. Um, 
it takes so many years to understand some of the principles of the game and everything else, right? It doesn't mean that those athletes couldn't learn football. It's just you're talking about a lifetime of, of training. I would yeah. say the same thing in rugby for the most part. There are just certain skills in rugby that just take a lot, a lot of repetitions and visualizations mm -hmm. to understand. It doesn't mean that a lot of American quality NFL players wouldn't be world-class rugby players in time. It's just what is that time? And yeah. for some positions, that may only be two years. Um, you know, in sevens, we were able to do that in six months with certain players, uh, wings and, and a few others. Uh, you know, you're starting to see that a bit more in sevens, some of those crossovers having some success, which is great. I think in seven, in 15s as well, that can also happen. It's just mm -hmm. certain positions will take a lot, lot longer. No, I completely, I think, I think the IQ is what you need more than the, the physical the running ability. Style different too, you know, just the, you know, I, I played both growing up. So mm -hmm. in the fall, we always played American football in the spring was rugby and football is like shoulder pads down. It's just a different, it's a, it's a game of territory and yard and yards and inches and momentum where rugby mm -hmm. certainly back then wasn't as much so, um, you know, it's a bit more of a collision now than it had been, but still it's not, it's not a game of inches. It's not, you don't have to, and it's, you know, you're more upright, you're, you're fend and, and drive and mm -hmm. separation and that kind of stuff, which you really don't necessarily have the opportunity to do in American football um, as, as well because of shoulder pads and other pieces like that. So there's just a couple of different styles to things. Tackling is different. Um, we, me and my me and my brother say that every week we watch the we watch the NFL and we say the amount of injuries that could be prevented by changing the tackle technique in American yeah. football. Hands down, no question. But again, you got to remember the fundamental of football will always be, or it has always been, um, stop you know, the down and distance. Exactly down yeah. and distance. So it, it just it's um, kind of an all or nothing collision in many in, in many ways. Unfortunately, yeah. it's changing, but it's not. It's terrifying some of the hits you see people put in. Yeah. What was that? What was that old Seattle safety, Chancellor Cam Chancellor? I imagine getting in a hit with him was like having a small car crash. Yeah, it's just not. Yeah, I mean, I played both growing up, and so anecdotally, I just would always come off the football field, and I felt like I ran into a brick wall ten times with my head, you know, and, and my body. You know, mm -hmm. rugby, you get bruised and stitches, and I was always getting stitches and everything else, especially as an open side flanker. But in terms of that kind of like head bell ringing, it just it, it was few and far between. Again, mm -hmm. completely anecdotal, and those are my experiences. But it was just um, significantly different type of contact mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah, nice, interesting. And so I always like to hear people who have involved in the world of both on their opinion. So that's so back to the exact question: Who's the worst tackler you've ever had the pleasure of playing with? The human turnstile that I that I played with. Played with or, you play against if you want to keep your teammates and keep your friends happy. That's a great question. I'd have to think about that. Mm -hmm. At what level, I guess? <laughs> I mean, professional because you get it's cheating when you get you get some kids in school that play rugby because their dads have thrown them on the rugby field. I suppose. Yeah, I'd really have to think about that one. There's nobody that just stands out, and there's yeah. nobody I want to make fun of yet right now. But, uh, <laughs> just wait till you've had a few bad meetings, and then we'll yeah, do it. Exactly. We'll make it a social media exclusive. Exactly. You can send me the answer. There's a bunch of um, people I've coached that I would say that about, but I would never say that as a coach. I'll just tell them. <laughs> Here's <laughs> where you can improve. <laughs> Who's most up for a night out that you've ever played with? Oh, there's a long line of fine gentlemen who would like to have a night out. I'm just looking back at my old U.S. team. Mm -hmm. There were some, some great ones. Toddy was kind of like my little brother on the U.S. team. Todd was always up for a fun time. Todd Clever. Um, 
yeah there was a there was a bunch that were um had their life in order in terms of rugby and were really disciplined in their work but were not afraid to have a have a night out that was back in the game where it was very much the work hard play hard mindset so mm -hmm. kind of work hard all week overwork a lot of times we were overtrained, um way too much volume and then you know after matches or tournaments it was just all hell broke loose excuse my language um which wasn't like you know that's not a great cycle to be in i find a lot of players yeah. nowadays are much more in control and it's not as crazy on either side yeah a few casual beers instead of all your beers exactly. in four hours of the weekend exactly exactly on top of volume that you should never be doing in the first place but again exactly. more, more 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 was better more always more uh, more and everything <laughs> mindset can never do enough shuttle runs i remember was when we were yeah. growing up literally yeah we do 10ks at each practice and you know contact at all practices and you know five days a week and then you're playing on a, on saturday you're certainly not fresh mm -hmm. right well i know i'm very conscious of time here because i don't want to make you late for your next meeting because you're a busy busy man but um we'll pick the best ones who's got the worst fashion sense you've ever played with any guys that have ever turned up or any of the boys that are in the free jacks now anybody turn up with questions fashion sense mitchy mitchy wilson's um partner she's really big into fashion so i'd say mm -hmm. he's got the worst fashion sense because it's so good that it's so bad just out there yeah well he he's always like one step ahead and now i don't i don't know if it's there but what we're seeing here in the states is a lot of 90s fashion is coming back and yeah, I just, I you know, that was like when i was a kid or like you know it's like come on like really that's what we're going to come back with that <laughs> bagginess of crazy yeah so yeah <laughs> not, not for you just yet Wait so for he's got really good taste because but he's, he's because it's so good it's so bad he's too he's too far ahead of the curve yeah exactly who can't handle a night out who's the one guy that would always be tactically taking a taxi home early oh my gosh there are so many <laughs> That I can't even name on air because it's no. really, really, really bad. I'll let you, I'll let you off. You've given me some great answers, so I'll let you off with that one. Who's the biggest joker, the biggest practical joker you've ever had in the changing room? Oh, let me think. Um, Jovessa was hilarious. Naivali, Jovessa was world class speed. He came upon the scene in the early two thousands with the U.S. and was just mm -hmm. by far the fastest person on the seventh circuit and, and in world fifteens. Jovessa was hilarious. He was always joking around, for sure. Really? Just met the, the typical guy of chucking shoes in the shower and stuff like that? Yeah, just always. <laughs> I'd be, like, walking up the stairs. We were doing something serious, and then suddenly, like, he was pretending to be a dog on my feet, like, from behind and scaring the shit out of me. Like, <laughs> like just always joking around. That's the, you, you need those people as long as they know when to pick the best yeah, time to do yeah, it. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> right. Who who could you see as a future coach? Was there anybody you were ever playing with when you thought you were a coach written all over you? Yeah, a bunch of them. Um, I just back in the day that I was players with, you know, you look in the forwards, uh, Dan Lyle. Dan's gone a different direction more in the kind of business side of the sport. Dan, mm -hmm. I thought, would have made a great coach. Dave Hodges, I was part of that group. Um, Luke Gross was part of that group, who's become a coach. Um, I thought they've all, they've all, they've all, at the time as a player, I thought they would have. Um, Ray Laner, so that was, that was old school. Uh, guys I've worked with recently, I think there's a bunch on the Free Jacks that can make really good coach. Mitchie would make a really good coach, I think. Yeah. Um, Bodine, I think, would make a really good coach. Uh, there's, there's, a, there's a bunch there that I think um, 
would be really handy as, as quality coaches. Josh Larson. Yeah. Right. And then, right, that's us. We're done that because we kind of wish I'm keeping it time frame here because I'm very much aware that you, I'm on. I'm on your time, not the other way around. So don't want you don't want you running around like you have to deal with me. So final question: You've got three cheesy pop songs to get the team ready for a night out to celebrate the end of season. What three songs would you pick? What like what era are we talking about? Does it matter? Any any era. Your three favorite go-to songs. Like how cheesy can they be? Cheesier the better. You know you know a rugby bus when you see one. Cheesy. You always you'll open up the door and you'll just hear Shania Twain coming out of it. My, you know what I like? I love things like early '80s ska punk. Um, you know, something anything to do with the Clash, but that's not cheesy. So I'm trying to think like, what would be something that would be really cheesy to get everybody fired up about? If we can pick an era, that may help me coalesce around something. Uh, go with these then. Go, go with your A's. Um. Anything by Madonna would be great. Celebrate. Great show. Yeah, holiday, <laughs> right? Um, what else? Help me, help me think of some of the great 80s music. You're asking the big questions now. I'm just, I've just got Madonna like, like, Madonna like Africa head. or like I do something like hairband stuff. I don't know. Like, um, there you go. You get up. Yeah. Earth, Wind, Jeff and Fire. Fire. I'll be in there. Pour, pour some sugar on me, something like that. Um, I don't know. Uh, you can just just yeah. go to Spotify, click '80s classics, and then just go from there, and that's you. Your your rhythmics. I'm just trying to think of who else would be like within that. See, these are all just great stuff. They may be seem cheesy now, but they're just fantastic. <laughs> well, Simple I mind. think. Yeah, see, there's so many to choose from as well. I I didn't realize how difficult that question was until somebody asked it back to me. And yeah. Like, what three songs did you play? And I was like. I couldn't tell you. Couldn't tell exactly. you. Exactly. <laughs> like, all right, what three songs? There's so many good ones. Mm -hmm. And what defines cheese? <laughs> I, I might just use that as the clip for the intro when I'm yeah. when I'm what defines cheese, and then just leave it with that. <laughs> Sam, you're brilliant. I loved it. Thank you. I really have to jump on to yeah. a, uh, another. Conference. Max, don't worry. I'll do. If you need to jump off, I'll do it, and I'll just do all the socials for you there. I'll link everything down below. Max, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for giving yeah, up your time. You're the best. Cheers. Amazing. Cheers. Keep in touch. There we go. What a great episode. Once again, thank you so much to Alex for coming on. Saved me a bunch, a bunch of trouble with his brilliant stories, his grateful insight, how open he was with us about the Free Jacks and everything that he's got going on in the plans, as well as talking some great stuff about the history of sport, specifically rugby in the USA. Always saving us, always giving us a great bit of help. Right, Alex, thank you so much for coming on. If you're watching this back, it was brilliant. I really, really enjoyed it. Can't thank you enough. We'll have to get it some time when you have got a bit more spare time and we can really deep dive into the stuff that you spoke about in that episode. Guys, as always, make sure you go and follow the Free Jacks and Alex himself on his socials. They're all down below. On Instagram, he's, they're all on Twitter. They're really, really good. Make some good memes as well. I think they've got some TikToks as well. Get that follow, get it just. As always, make sure you thank the Pack Pot, the, the podcast partner that we've got. Wild Haggis Company. As usual, over an 80 at checkout for 10% off. O-V-E-R-I-N-8-0 at checkout. That gets you 10% off. Jobs are good. As usual, guys, like, leave a rating. Five stars always helps on all platforms. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, the works. We all know the drill. We're talking for the sake of talking, so I'll let you guys get on with the rest of your week, and we'll see you again next Wednesday. Happy days to see you. Bye. Bye.